Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all. I, yeah, you could go ahead, talk to me. I, even though you're in your cars, I, I can hear you. I, I, feel, I feel it in my bones. Uh, thank you guys so much for being here. I, I, and, you know, I know that this has not been the way that everyone has wanted to meet, but man, it's such a blessing to see everyone here. Such a blessing to see you guys. Derek, what's up, baby? I haven't seen you in a minute, man. It's good to see you. <laughs> Shout out to the Matthews family. <laughs> um, I want to, um, yeah, I, I want to start things by saying, yeah, I definitely am grateful to Pastor Jeff for the opportunity to speak this morning. You know, um, all cards on the table. Pastor Jeff asked me, he said, hey, uh, you, what about you? And I told him no, because I didn't want to uh, unpack this beast. And I, I was like, man, I, I don't know if that's that's my thing. And uh, it's just fear, fear, honestly, um, to address. And then the Lord began to deal with me. Um, I have been afforded a luxury to be able to walk in spaces and places and be able to speak to issues like this. And um, and then I realized it was, it was what, you know, for such a time as this. So I called Pastor Jeff back and I told Pastor Jeff, yeah, man, I, I, would, I would be honored to do that. And so um, this morning, <clears throat> I'm going to talk about some things. And uh, all cards on the table, you're probably not going to like some things that I'm going to say. But I want to start by saying I, my prayer is that you would not throw away our relationship based on some things that you hear in my message today that may rub you the wrong way. As a believer, as a pastor, my role is to preach the gospel. So today I want to be able to do that. And my prayer is that you would hear it clearly. I want to start things by reading from Psalm 139. If you have your Bible, you can turn it, turn to the uh, turn to there. One, uh, 139, Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24. If you have uh, the app, or you know, on your phone, or you have it on your iPad, you can go there. Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24. And uh, I'm just going to start here, really truthfully, as a prayer. And I pray that it would be a prayer that you pray as well, as we unpack some of the things taking place in our country and our nation today. Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24 read like this. And I'm just being honest, guys. I, 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 Jesus. Man, it was, it was tough trying to put this together because I have a lot of emotions and feelings about a lot of the things taking place. But when all of that was said and done, this is where I wanted to start because I believe that it is critical critical for us right now as the church. We are in a pivotal, critical time. My prayer is we would all start here. Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there are any grievous ways in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Father, I am praying right now, God, you would search my heart, Lord. Weed it out. Weed out my heart, God. Fill me with your spirit. 
Help me today, Lord, I ask and pray in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen, amen. For a very long time, a very long time in America's history, racial tension has been a part of this country. You can Google this. This is not an opinion. This is fact. It has been part of America's history. We have seen racism. We have seen injustice take place in our country. But I am reminded this morning, because the real, the real truth is this, is as a church, right, American church, we have been affected by racism. We have been. We have been affected by racism. I'm not talking 272 Jackson. I am talking America's church has been affected by racism. And the things we see today give us an opportunity, a critical moment in American church history to champion the gospel in a way like never before. Like never before. I need you, if you're here today, to hear my heart. We cannot miss the opportunity to champion the gospel in some of the most purest forms possible. And we are at that point today. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus, before he leaves this earth, he gives his disciples a scope of the kingdom of God. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. The kingdom of God, from the beginning of its inception, since the beginning of time, has always been a picture of racial and, and, and ethnic inclusiveness. Always. It has always been that picture that has been God's intent. If you read the Bible front to back, what you understand is that God chose a nation to reveal himself. He chose a particular people to reveal himself. And from that particular people, the message would be that whosoever would call on the name of the Lord would be saved. That has been the picture of the kingdom of God. And as Jesus ascended into heaven, he left his disciples with a responsibility to steward that vision. If you're in this place today and you call yourself a believer, that responsibility falls to you also. To steward the vision of the kingdom of God that has always been inclusive of every tribe, every nation, period. That's the vision. Pastor Matt and I were, uh, Pastor Matt shared in a podcast a couple weeks ago from John chapter 17. John chapter 17, Jesus is praying for his disciples. He's about to uh, walk, the, walk the journey to the cross. And before he does that, he's decided to pray for his disciples. And the scripture says that he didn't just pray for the disciples right there, but he prayed for disciples who would be coming later on. This is what it says, John chapter 17, verses 20 through 21. Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you and I. 
We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ because of the word of the disciples, because of the word of the apostles of the apostles. And he says that they may all be one. That they may all be one. He he says, I want them to be united, but we're not just united to occupy a space. We're united for a purpose. He says, not he says that they would all be one just as you, the Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe. We're unified for a purpose, that the world may believe that you have sent me. What does that mean? It means simply this, that if the church were united together, People would look at it and say, man, God must be real because look at all these people in here. Today I'm going to say some things that are probably going to offend you. But I'm asking you, please don't throw away our relationship. Listen, you know me aside from this platform. You know me aside from my Facebook posts. You know me aside from my Instagram posts. If you don't, man, listen, please, I would love to get to know you. But don't throw away our relationship about some thing, over some things that I'm about to say to you right now. Rick DeBose, Assistant General Superintendent of the Assemblies of God, said this. And I, I want you to really soak this in because it's really true. I, I, it, it really is true. The evidence of it is true. He says, the church has lost its influence, so it's trying to gain its influence through political means. The church has lost its influence, and so it's trying to now gain its influence through political means. The church's influence must first and foremost always be the kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. That must be our influence, period, full stop. That's it. It is the gospel. It is the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added unto you. If the scope of our life is the kingdom first, we will start to see things manifest on earth as it is in heaven. When we see Jesus live out his life, he's telling people, Listen, the kingdom is here. It has arrived because I have ushered in a new way of living, a new way of thinking, and it is inclusive of every tribe and every nation. Today, I want to offer you three truths, three truths that, three truths for us to remember in order to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Here we go. Truth number one. We cannot hitch the gospel to a movement. You cannot hitch the gospel to a movement. The idea of hitching something to something else implies that the thing that you are hitching is being driven by the thing that's in front of it. I cannot, as a believer, take the gospel, which should be the driving force, and hitch it behind something else. The gospel is the movement. Moreover, I would say this. When we read in Exodus, because this is what I think we sometimes do. We like to prioritize things in our life, give them value, and then respond to them according to their value. 
And oftentimes we like to take things like the kingdom of God or the gospel and we say, well, I'm going to make it the priority of my life. In the book of Exodus, we learn really quick that God says, listen, you shall have no other gods before me. And as I have studied that passage of scripture, I think for a very long time in my life, I've always asserted and seen it in the scope of a hierarchy. But that is not the way that we're supposed to read that verse. When he says, you shall have no other gods before me, it is a declaration that you shall have no other gods in the presence of God. That God has supremacy. He is the driving force. So even in that scope, I can't hitch the gospel to a movement because the gospel is a movement. But moreover, the gospel cannot be a movement. It is the driving force of my life. Everything I am, everything I do flows from the gospel and the kingdom of God. Here's what I'm not saying. I am not saying that your movement can't reflect the gospel. I am not saying that you can't have a cause that doesn't reflect the gospel. But if your cause is in conflict with the gospel, you may want to rethink your movement. If your cause is in conflict with the gospel, you will have to reevaluate whether or not that is something as a believer, as a follower, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, you and I should follow. That means we have to take a real hard look at some of the things that we champion as movements of our life. There is a very real understanding that as a believer, my life comes under submission of the kingdom and the gospel. My mom, when she became a United States citizen, she had to renounce her allegiance to the country of Panama as she pledged her allegiance to the United States of America. Now, as a believer, as I move from death to life, from destruction to life, as I transition from one kingdom of my own flesh in worldliness into the living kingdom of God, I now renounce my allegiance to worldly ways and pledge my allegiance to the kingdom of God. My now allegiance is God's kingdom and the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no but, there is no add-on, it is just the gospel. We're really good at adding things on, right? Because that's what we do. We're like, oh, the gospel and this. You know, you need the kingdom of God and this. No, what about the kingdom? What about the gospel? I am a firm believer that as we submerge ourselves into the ways of the kingdom, we find ways to illuminate God's love on earth as it is in heaven in every way possible. Submerge yourself in the kingdom. Submerge yourself in the gospel. Number two, the gospel is not just informational, it is transformational. 
a lot of us are gathering information and making statements or making posts or making movements based on information. But can I tell you something? If the gospel is not informing your life, you're operating on faulty information. The gospel has to inform my life, and then it transforms my life. It transforms my way of thinking. It transforms my way of speaking, my way of living. The gospel is informational and transformational. It doesn't just inform my life, man. It makes it different. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have decided to become a disciple, you have no choice but to be transformed. Isn't that what Paul tells us in Romans, right? He says, in view of God's mercy to you, man, listen, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The gospel informs, then transforms my life to look different than what the world is operating. And if we call ourselves believers, we have to be different. Let me, let me rephrase that. We get to be different. We get to be different and offer people a different perspective that there actually can be heaven on earth as the gospel transforms my life. I'll, I'll say it to you like this. There's a, there's a story in the Bible. Jesus is hanging out with people, and they ask him, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And in the midst of that, he says, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, right? In the midst of this, it says the expert, an expert in the law turns to Jesus and says, well, who is my neighbor? Scripture says he was doing this because he was looking to justify himself, Try to give himself a reason why he doesn't need to necessarily be kind to a particular group of people or a particular person. Jesus then goes on to tell the story of the Good Samaritan. He says that a man had been, been beaten and been robbed and been laying on the side of the road. And he says that a priest came and walked by on the other side. A Levite came and walked by on the other side. Then Jesus says a Samaritan saw the man helpless and he picked him up put him on his donkey, bandaged his wounds, took him to the end, to the inn, paid for his room, told the lady, listen, whatever this person needs, I will come back and pay up the bill when I return. Jesus unpacks this story. And then Jesus does what I like to call a Jesus juke. You play basketball, you know what that is. It's like a little, oof, little hesitation, a little crossover. Jesus gives this little Jesus juke and he asks the expert in the law, he says, who was the neighbor? which is very different than what he originally asked. What was originally asked by the expert in the law was who was my neighbor. Jesus then says, no, who is the neighbor in the story? The irony is that the expert in the law, he's asking this question. Jesus tells him, no, that's not the right perspective. He completely flips it. He says, don't think about who the broken are in the story. Think about who you are in the story. Who are you in the story of the broken? When you see somebody befallen on the side of the road, when you see the disenfranchised, the people, the outcasts, the marginalized, who are you in their brokenness? This is what Jesus wants them to understand. 
the expert in the law looks Jesus in the face and he says, this, he couldn't even say the Samaritan because Jews and Samaritans, they're not best friends, even though they're, even though they're related. They're not best friends. He says, well, the, the, guy, the guy who helped the guy. And Jesus looks him square in the face, the expert in the law, and he says, do the same. Do the same. See, here's the thing. I was talking with Pastor Matt about this. We were talking about my message and kicking back different things, different ideas. And he and I are in agreement. We get really, really good at justifying allowing the gospel to only impact our lives to a certain point. See, the mindset is that we say, well, well, Pastor Jamal, I am transformed. See, I gave my life to Jesus. You know, I'm not who I was. I'm different than who I was when I first started. The question, though, is who are you today? Sometimes we like to take these situations like this and we say, well, I've changed enough. I, I, I'm willing to give Jesus this much, but that is not the gospel. The gospel is transformational every single day. Every single day, I need to wake up, apply the word of God to my life, say, God, how can I be transformed today? Paul says it like this. He says, I die daily. I put to death the deeds of the flesh every single day. This is what it means to be transformed by the word of God. Not to sit here and say, well, no, Jesus, that's about enough. I've changed just enough to look like the part. I've changed just enough to be the priest in the story, operating around faith, the Levite in the story, familiar with faith, but remaining unaffected by the gospel. We can't do this. We can't do this. Probably one of the most stark representations of this is Judas himself, a man who hung around Jesus his entire ministry only to betray him at the end. Did you know you could hang around faith and still be unaffected by faith? Did you know you could hang around the gospel and still remain unaffected by the gospel? Did you know that you can read your Bible and still not be affected by the words in that Bible? And in a day and a critical moment where the country is looking for something different than what they've always seen, we, the church, get to be different. Because the gospel has not just informed us, it has transformed us, and it is transforming us every single day. This is the power of the gospel. The word of God is living and active not dead and dormant. We get to be the neighbor in the story. Number three, the Holy Spirit is the fuel for the kingdom. The Holy Spirit is the fuel for the kingdom movement. Listen, there are many of us here that would say in our orthodoxy that we believe that the Holy Spirit empowers us. But if we were to really take a look and, and analyze our lives, we would have to question whether or not our orthopraxy lines up with that thought. Is the Holy Spirit the fuel for your life? It should be the fuel for the movement. Earlier I quoted Rick DeBose and I said, uh, I said the quote from him and I'll read it real quick one more time. 
The church has lost its influence, so it's trying to gain its influence through political means. Listen, there is not a single political party that could fuel the church. I don't care. I don't care. There is not, our fuel is the Holy Spirit. What, man, do you know what it would look like if the Holy, if this church let the Holy Spirit get a hold of it like it really should? We probably would have political parties showing up asking us, what are you doing? What are you doing that you have these groups of people in harmony, in unity? Man, the Holy Spirit is the fuel. Just last week, Pastor Jeff preached a message on Pentecost. We saw the picture of all of these different people who come together hearing God speak to them in their own language. The movement started with the Holy Spirit. It continues with the Holy Spirit. And if we call ourselves believers and followers of Jesus Christ, we have no other choice. No other choice than to surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit to see change in our nation and around the world. It's the Holy Spirit. We can no longer keep reaching into these other places to fuel, and I would say this, to fuel counterfeit movements of something God originated. God originated this picture of racial and ethnic inclusion. God originated the picture of social justice. God originated the picture of all of it. And if we would just trust in the kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ, man, we would see phenomenal things take place in our nation, in our world, in our community. And ask Pastor Bonnie to come. Every time we reach for something, every time we reach for something that's not the Holy Spirit, we do the gospel a disjustice, a disservice. Every time we reach for something that is not the Holy Spirit, we do the kingdom of God a disservice. There are not enough. Woof. Come on, Jesus. Come through. There are not enough. There are not enough political posts or retweets or pandemic guidelines, hashtags, hashtags, clicks and retweets. They're not enough of them. They will overpromise and underdeliver. It is only by way of the Holy Spirit that we will see change take place. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. He says, My message and my preaching were not with eloquent words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not be based on human wisdom, but on the power of God. The power of God. We're about to take communion here in a little bit. Scripture also says that a man ought to examine himself before partaking of the elements. If you're here today and you say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, I believe in these things, I want to call all of us, 
to a moment of self-examination. Scripture says if you partake of the elements and your heart's not right, that you bring judgment on yourself. And so maybe it's time for us to maybe sit for a couple minutes and analyze whether or not Whether or not in our own lives the gospel is the movement, whether or not in our own lives we've been leaning on the Holy Spirit or maybe we've been leaning on other things. But I don't want any of us to partake of the elements in an unworthy manner without having checked our hearts first. Can we do that? I'm going to take two minutes, 120 seconds. Let's just begin to just analyze and check our own hearts. Jesus, speaking to his disciples, he says, in order for new wine to be of use, it needs to be poured into new wineskins. Maybe there are some old wineskins or old ways that you got to get rid of. My prayer is that you would allow the Holy Spirit to, to get rid of those old wineskins because I believe in my heart, man, God wants to do something brand new, do something great. We get to be part of it. And it's, man, we're such a critical moment. It's the Holy Spirit that gives you the power to love people that are different than you. It's the Holy Spirit that allows for you to see the broken, the disenfranchised people who have been ostracized and love them with something deeper than yourself. It's the it's a gospel, man. And we get to be part of that. Please don't pass up this moment. We'll pass up this moment. We need the Holy Spirit. And my prayer is that each and every one of us would take, the, take those times, take those moments to soak in. Not just, not just once, not just twice, man, but every single day, man. Yes. 
Thank you. 